comics author Brian K. Vaughn is a big deal in the sci-fi world. He's written for numerous Marvel and DC titles, as well as TV shows like Under the Dome and Lost. But he's most known for his comics. He's the human behind titles like Why the Last Man. And his most recent comics project, Saga, has been featured in a number of best comics of 2014 lists. That's why we were really excited to get to talk to Vaughn about his work when he sat down with Kwame Opam, Addie Robertson, and myself, Ariel Doom Ross, in our studio. Brian, welcome to The Verge. Thanks for having me. Um, so, like I said, Saga has had a really good year. Um, and, you know, for people who maybe aren't familiar with it, um, do, do you kind of want to just describe the main, uh, the main theme behind it, the main storyline? Yeah, sure. It's tough because I, I kind of designed Saga to be a, an elevator pitch proof book that it's almost <laughs> impossible to describe in a, a sentence. But uh, yeah, it's sort of a, a sci-fi fantasy epic. And it's the story of one girl. Uh, her name is Hazel. And she is the uh, daughter of a uh, mom and a dad who are part of uh, two separate warring armies. And uh, their planet and their moon have been in sort of eternally locked in war. But these two are sort of a, a Romeo and Juliet couple who have uh, overcome their differences and uh, made a kid and uh, drama ensues. Okay, what was the inspiration behind it? Why'd you start writing it? Well, I became a a dad and uh, I was desperate to write about fatherhood, but I learned pretty quickly that no one is interested in hearing stories about uh, me being a dad, that there's really nothing more boring than having to listen to stories about other people's children. So I thought maybe I I could uh, smuggle in uh, (laughs) my experiences as a dad inside this Trojan horse of a a big Star Wars-style adventure. So fatherhood in space, basically. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Yes, I suppose. And, um, yeah, so so you are a big Star Wars fan. Would you say that that's like a a big influence in Saga? Very much so, yeah, yeah. Uh, And, uh, you know, but I I always... uh, uh, I obviously I grew up loving the Star Wars movies, but I wanted to do something where I guess Star Wars as much would be as much of an influence as like Flash Gordon was to George Lucas, that he sort of took the elements of the sort of fiction that he loved as a kid and then found a way to put some of himself into that and take it to uh, new places that something like Flash Gordon wouldn't have been able to go. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the the main things that I've you know heard from other people talking about it is that it seems like, um, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you've taken science fiction and you've you've um, it's it's really seems like an avenue for you to discuss more truth about society um, than I've seen in a lot of other types of you know TV movies. Um, you know, just the fact that you know uh, giving birth is really messy. Um, sex is messy. Uh, tr- people have had a lot of trauma in their lives. I mean, there. I feel like there are things that that you discuss. Uh, I mean, even you know the robot race is you know what what flashes on their TV screens is really interesting to me because it often seems to be like depictions of of trauma, um, which um, that might be. That's my interpretation. Um, but do you feel like science fiction lets you explore things that you know otherwise in the real world would be too touchy? Yeah, absolutely. I, I I have never been a fan of uh, escapist fiction. Uh, that I, I really I love my life. I'm not looking to escape it. I've always liked science fiction that uh, makes my world more interesting or helps me understand it. So, uh, yeah, I've never. I'm a genre writer. I've never been able to just come at things straight. I, I like to sort of talk about what's going on in the world, but you know, with ray guns and jetpacks mixed in. <laughs> I mean. 
if I, if I can, I would like to really send a really nice shout out to Fiona Staples for the art on this. Oh, series. it's yeah, so beautiful. I think what's really interesting is that there's a kind of fantastical style that she uses, but it's still grounded in this like really harsh reality of just like living in the midst of war and like the ugliness and messiness of like even relationships. And that's, I really enjoyed that about the series. Oh, thank you. Well, I would agree though. The book success is entirely due to Fiona. I know when I started writing, I was just like, boy, they're TV headed robots and talking cats. Like this is a comic for no one. And, uh, and I saw her art and it is, as you say, it's so imaginative and you've never seen anything like it, but her characters are so grounded and real mm. that, uh, yeah, it feels, feels so real uh, and that's entirely due to fiona i mean i think that's really funny that you say like it's a comic for no one because i you know i see myself reflected in it in the sense that there's there's biracial kids going on you know as much as like you know there are people of color who are also aliens and you know however Mm -hmm. you want to you want to call them but um you know i you know there are different types of of sexualities being depicted um and you did that too in why the last man and it just I know it just seems like, uh, you know, even with things like Ms. Marvel, like more and more, I feel like people of color and people who are, you know, slightly outside the margins of the mainstream for whatever reason are more and more being depicted in comics. And um, I don't know, to me, that's that's really interesting that you just said that because I feel like it's a comic for everybody. Oh, well, that, that's very nice. And it's again, that that is Fiona. And I've repeated this story before, but it, it's true that early on when I was describing the characters, you know, I said, well, this uh, Alana, the mom, has wings, and uh, Marco, the dad, has horns, and Alana can look however you want. I probably wouldn't make her a redhead because there's a glut of redheads in comics. And Fiona <laughs> sort of wisely pointed out, uh, but she said, you know, these characters don't have to be white. That is not the, mm-hmm. you know. And I blame myself that it is, particularly when thinking about fantasy, that white tends to be the default when mm-hmm. you're starting with characters. Yeah. And then it's sort of adding in horns and wings or bumps on their foreheads make them diverse, which is insane. And I think it was Fiona who pointed out, look, if you really do want to explore the real world, this book should look like uh, the real world. So, yeah. There are so many directions we could go with that. Um, <laughs> but I mean, as far as comics and sci-fi and genre fiction is concerned, I mean, we've had a really interesting year as far as how diversity is depicted in comics and fantasy. I, I mean, since you've worked for the big two, like Marvel DC, you have an experience with like being in those uh, writing rooms and like dealing with like how representation is concerned. Like, what is it like looking at comics these days? And like, what are you seeing? I think it's a pretty excellent time for comics, especially compared to working in film and television where I think things are, you know, particularly on broadcast television or when talking about Hollywood blockbusters, that things are getting much more conservative and they have to reach such a huge audience that they're playing it very safe. And uh, comics has always been a place where creators have been able to take chances, particularly because it's a relatively cheap medium. Uh, so yeah, it's been exciting. I think so that combination of sort of fearlessness and freedom and just the, uh, I think a new crop of talented creators who are coming up uh, and I think just weaned on, uh, you know, an incredible diversity of books that, uh, yeah, it does seem to be a new golden age for comics that I think comics have never been this good in this many different genres at Mm -hmm. once as they are Mm -hmm. right now. And there also seems to be, um, you know, from my standpoint, more and more people getting into them that, you know, maybe 20 years ago would not have like just it just seems to be reaching out and touching a lot more people. 
Um, do you see that when you go to conventions? Do you see that reflected in, in you know, signings? Sure. Yeah, and I remember with uh, when I was writing Why the Last Man, when Pia Guerra and I first put that book out at signings, it would be 90% men at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then about halfway through the run of the series, it started to be about half and half women and men. And women would come up and say, you know, my boyfriend gave me this. It's the first comic that I'd ever read. And by the time the series ended five or six years later, we had men coming up saying, my girlfriend gave me this comic. I was never into <laughs> comics before. And it had, you know, the cycle had completed itself. So, yeah, it's particularly within the last 10 years, I think the demographics of readers has changed completely for the better. How do you feel about people who, you know, your the hardcover volume one just came out and, and on the first page there's I, I, what I believe is Hazel breastfeeding. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, how do you feel about people? I've heard a lot, ton of praise, but the praise is always juxtaposed next to you, like, and people have been reacting badly to it. <laughs> um, and it seems like, I don't know if it's hearsay, has it has, has there really been some backlash in terms well, yeah, of when, stuff like that? Sure, when the, the first issue came out, uh, on the cover it featured uh, Alana breastfeeding Hazel in just the, the most sort of uh, muted, uh, non-confrontational way possible, and still I was shocked to hear that image told us some stores were refusing to rack right. it on their shelves or they would put, you know, a piece of paper over it. Or, or turn them over. Or turn I them heard. over, right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you've ever been in a comic book store, there's some pretty racy covers and right. just severed yeah. heads are a par for the course. And so when it came time for us to do this collection, we just decided, well, let's double down on this and we'll just have just the most gigantic in-your-face hazel breastfeeding. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think it, it is definitely meant to elicit an emotional reaction, but I think it's also a warning for people like if that cover offends you or mm-hmm. you think it's creepy or titillating, like this series is not for you. But right. I think there are a lot of people who see it and think, wow, this is what is that horned baby doing? I've never seen anything <laughs> like this. This kind of weirdness is for me. Yeah, well, I think it's a beautiful cover. Thank I mean, you. I think it's interesting because I feel like comics can get away as a visual medium with so much more sex than really any other visual medium I can think of, mostly, I guess, video games and movies. It is true, and I think, you know, that that's it's something that Marvel and DC very rarely do since their books are aimed at a younger audience, so it's something we can get away with, so... Um, Except for maybe, like, Batman and Catwoman, <laughs> infamous like, ending panel, but... Yes. Um... We just had, uh, you know, our writer Andrew Webster just wrote uh, an editorial um, about uh, how sci-fi was being addressed in comics and how there seems to be so much more latitude. Um, and, you know, we, we asked you to read it and we, we'd love to hear your thoughts about it. Do you think that he's being fair or do you think that he's uh, maybe not giving movies or, or TV shows enough credit? No, I, I think he's uh, he's spot on, especially because he was so nice about Saga. I guess. <laughs> right. I mean, was, what a great article. The for people who haven't nice read the in. piece, it starts out with a story about Saga, and it starts out with a lot of praise, and, and you're, you're interviewed. I believe you, you had an email exchange with Andrew about it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it is a very you know complimentary <laughs> piece, but we did want to know what you thought of uh, no, you know, its premise. We are on the, the same wavelength. That I, I think, um, and it's hard for me to judge. I, I'm, I'm not well read enough in science fiction prose at the moment. I'm Mm -hmm. sure there's a lot of excitement going on there. But I think in terms of uh, science fiction in visual media, that comics is where the most exciting stuff is happening now. Because, um, yeah, I've always said that that comics is sort of the one place 
where you can have the spectacle of a summer blockbuster movie, but the sort of emotional heft of a great drama series like Mad Men. And Mm -hmm. you can't do that. It's very hard to do on television, Mm -hmm. you know, where you can do challenging things, but you don't have a budget and movies. You know, we would never be able to do Saga as a, a film, you know, to do something that was a, a hard R-rated story uh, is, uh, yeah, it would be very difficult. Uh, well, yeah, do. I mean, ratings are definitely an issue yeah. uh, in, in that sense. I mean, there's a lot of swearing in Saga. There's a lot of sex. There's a lot of, I mean, it's it, it even explores child, childhood sexual abuse. I mean, it's, it's uh, definitely something that is um, cutting edge in that respect, but I, I think it's done very respectfully. Um, and, you know, in a very progressive way um, that at least to me is extremely engaging. I mean, Thank I you. wonder I'm probably being unfair to movies and TV, but I wonder if there is something in science fiction that it has to be weird and different enough that a medium where there's a really high barrier of entry will have a hard time always something where you have to be sort of conservative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's probably some truth to that. I mean, I just keep thinking of like there's so many like it would it'll be really hard to like adapt neuromancer wouldn't it like just just how crazy it can get like you can try i'm trying for 30 years yeah i mean i'm sure the wachowski brothers could try like their damnedest and i feel like it would be a pretty hard thing to do because there's just so many concepts and ideas uh, about like virtual reality and that that you know i think the biggest challenge for film and television is you're collaborating with hundreds of people and uh you know your vision is always going to change whereas comics is this purity of saga is really it's three of us it's uh fiona and phonographics who's our letterer and designer and me and it's uh it's really nice to get to create a universe with just three people mm-hmm. where, you know, it usually takes a small army to bring that to life. So you get this extremely personal vision from just a handful of people. I think that's what makes comics so exciting. Along those lines, uh, you don't work with an editor. You know, you're at Image and Image is, is very much like owned by the creators. Mm-hmm. Um, so so how does that work? How different is that? And, you know, do you work extra hard to edit yourself? Um, yeah, it is. It's very different because even when I would work at a place like uh, Vertigo where artists have a, a relative amount of freedom, you're still working a, at an imprint of this big corporate brand and mm-hmm. you're sort of trying to find a story that works within their wheelhouse. An image has no rules or regulations. Or it's just create our own. It could be a comedy or a slice of life drama or a far out science fiction thing. Uh, so I think it's not for everyone. Sometimes people like having a bit more of a guiding hand, but I love it. I love that we have no marching orders. It just we do whatever we want. And uh, you know, even that breastfeeding cover, Eric Stevenson, the publisher at Image, told us, you know, I think you guys are going to get some backlash for this or it might not reach a big audience. And we had a sort of a lot of back and forth about it. And at the end, he just reminded me, he said, you know, I'm not your boss. You guys can do whatever you want at mm-hmm. Image. Even if we think it's stupid, you guys can do it, and we have your back. So <laughs> I've never had an experience like that. I love it. Uh, for people who haven't seen that cover, I mean, it's really it's it's really interesting because there's actually no, like, nipple involved in this cover at all. There's literally just, like, a mound of flesh <laughs> that is, you know, you, you right away, you know it's a breast. And then there's Hazel's face that's, that's like, up against it. There's, there's nothing that one would be like, we really need to cover that. <laughs> Not that I think that nipples should be covered. Um, <laughs> but it's just, it's really, it's, it blows my mind that that is something where, 
where like maybe there's a com- there's a conversation about backlash. Yeah, um, it's strange. We live in uh, it's a strange country, strange uh, particularly times. the United States. That it, it's tolerance for graphic depictions of violence is almost bottomless and sexuality and even this which you know is not sexuality this is just uh humanity at its uh, purest i mean it's it's nutrition it's growth it's energy uh, (laughs) yes it's strange um so we were just talking about how difficult it would be to make a saga movie um but we have a little game prepared for you that you've had a chance to take a look at earlier um that's along those lines we decided to uh, take a, a few main characters from Saga and um, give Brian three options for uh, casting them for actors that uh, of our time. Um, and uh, we asked him to choose uh, an actor for each of the characters. And we are going to guess which ones he chose and he can explain his choice afterwards. We're going to have some fun, you guys. Yeah. And also... Um, Kwame Adi and I are probably going to make fools of ourselves, so that'll be interesting. <laughs> yes. um, but the first one that you have, which one's which one's the first one that you uh, have? The stock is on the top of my stock. pile. Okay, we need to find that one first. Uh, okay, so the choices that we gave Brian was uh, Christina Hendricks from Mad Men, uh, Mila Kunis, and Christina Ricci. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to guess uh, Christina Ricci. I'm going to guess Mila Kunis. I'm also going to guess Mila Kunis. I mean, we have to do some sort of psychoanalysis. Like, are you the kind of person <laughs> who would rather pick choices that could be made today or the kind of person who would rather have some sort of fantastical choice to ensure mm. that the film is never made? Oh. <laughs> Fair. I mean, which should we explain who the stock is? Yes. Yeah, I've... Um, well, the stock. I mean, do you want to? Sure. Go ahead yeah. And, and uh, give all her an intro? the uh, in the world of saga, there are sort of bounty hunter characters. I call them freelancers, and uh, either side of this war can hire these people. And uh, the stock is this gorgeously designed character by Fiona, where she is uh, sort of spidery. Uh, that she has eight eyes, but there's uh, no arms, and then she has sort of a flowing skirt, and beneath her skirt is just this horrific eight spidery appendages, mm. and she is gorgeous and creepy and uh yeah so uh out of these uh, three actors a caveat i should say in the off chance there ever is a saga movie i'm not trying to literally <laughs> cast but out of these choices Exclusive. uh mila kunis i, I thought uh, i captured a lot of that sort of uh, otherworldly sexuality and mm-hmm. strength that the stock has so, okay uh, okay that's fair that's one <laughs> against me that's okay um just just so you guys know uh people listening at home we um i told brian that if we gave him choices that he like just could not handle and hated that he would still have to pick one but that he could definitely tell us off um <laughs> during the podcast so get ready for a chair to be thrown right on exactly. podcast it's gonna get ugly um what's the next one you have uh alana uh, okay she's the mom character from saga right the so she, yes she's she's hazel's mom uh she's uh married to marco um and we picked uh samira wiley who plays Pusey on orange is the new black uh we picked stephanie beatrice who is plays um she plays a cop on Brooklyn Nine Nine. Mm. She's a comedian. She's hilarious, and uh, a throwback to the '90s or early 2000s. Uh, Shannon Sosamon, who um, played alongside Heath Ledger in A Knight's Tale. I think she was also alongside 
She was in 40 Days and 40 Nights. Uh, I never saw that movie. She, yeah, she was in a lot of things. Um, but yeah, you, you, if you don't know who she is, you should probably look her up. Um, but uh, I'm going to go with Shannon. I'm going to go with Stephanie Beatrice. I'm going to go with Stephanie Beatrice because I happen to be a big fan of Brooklyn Nine-Nine and she's just a badass in that show. Yeah, she has Detective Diaz. It's just great. I love Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It's a great <laughs> choice. And yet, you are all wrong. I have uh, selected Samira as a uh, choice for this. Just uh, That's awesome. Yeah, That's I think awesome. she's the, the choice that was most exciting. I love Orange is the New Black. And it was exciting to think about her as Alana. I, I never would have imagined any of these three uh-huh. as my first pick for <laughs> Alana. But uh, but for this, yeah, Samira sounds great. That that works for me. I Yeah, I would love to see Samira play her. Say is amazing in that show. She's so good. Um, okay, what's the next one? Uh, Marco, who is the dad in Saga. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing at our choices here. <laughs> um, for Marco, we picked uh, Gael Garcia Bernal. Um, Steven Yeun, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce his last name, but he's uh, Glenn from In Walking Dead. Um, and a young Keanu Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> I suggested him, and I couldn't decide between Matrix young Keanu Reeves or... Like speed, young Keanu Reeves, and I feel like they're basically the same person. So it's moot. <laughs> but uh, well, yeah. Who do, who do you pick? Um, I'm gonna go with Gail Garcia Bernal, probably because I suggested him, and I just really want him in this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go from Glenn in Walking Dead, uh, Stephen Young. And I love Glenn is great. So Stephen Young. Yeah. These are three excellent choices by young Keanu Reeves is particularly inspired. But <laughs> because I am so competitive with uh, Robert Kirkman, who does The Walking Dead, an oh, image, I just want to steal Stephen away mm-hmm. to make him our Marco. So <laughs> yeah. the idea of taking someone from The Walking Dead is exciting to me. So Stephen, my pick. That's awesome. I think that's totally fair. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, I could totally see Stephen alongside Samira mm-hmm. for some mm-hmm. reason. I feel like that, that would totally work. Um, who's your next one? Uh, Lion Cat. Uh, now, Fan okay. favorite Lion Cat. <laughs> this one was particularly <clears throat> difficult, and I feel we're gonna, like we're going to get a lot of pushback from our uh, actor choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, dis- full disclosure: I had a lot of trouble with this one because I didn't know. I don't know whether Lion Cat is a person of color or not, and I find that very. I found that very difficult to peg down a voice. I can. I can hear her in my head when I read the comics. But I don't know who she is. Well, she's blue, so that is that is her color choice. But yes, I, I hear I hear your concern. Um, again, for people who maybe haven't read Saga, Lion Cat is um, this creature who belongs to the Will. Mm-hmm. A, a sidekick. A sidekick, um, and. Uh, her great power is that she can detect when people know that they're telling a lie. Yeah, she's a, a living lie detector. If someone lies, uh, she will call you out on it. But that's her. She only says one word ever, which is lying. Yeah, but she also has an elaborate backstory that we found out uh, yes. recently that she's the run of the litter um, and, you know, isn't nearly, she's kind of more, much more vulnerable than I think any of us mm. uh, expected and is actually quite layered. Um, oh, thanks. Which was really nice, actually. I I thought that was a cool tidbit. Um, But yeah, our choices are Janine Garofalo, a comedian who was very popular in the 90s and beginning of the 2000s. still very popular. Helen Mirren and Audrey Plaza, who recently voiced... um, Grumpy Cat. Grumpy Cat, Cat. yes. There's a YouTube video where she's voicing (laughs) Grumpy Cat. Wait, was this the Lifetime? This is the Lifetime. Yeah. She was actually in it. Don't ask me how I know that. <laughs> I know how you know that. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so I'm going to go with Janine Garofalo. I'm going to go with Janine Garofalo. I'm going to go with Audrey Plaza because I like what she did with the Grumpy Cat movie. I think she did the best with terrible material. (laughs) (laughs) This is hard because in my mind, Lion Cat will only ever sound like my wife. So it has to be... uh, Canadian and uh, judgmental and uh, <laughs> <laughs> somewhat disappointed in me. But, Canadian uh, judgmental. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so uh, Janine Garofalo strikes me as, while not uh, a Canadian, as the, the most, the closest to my wife's <laughs> voice. So, uh, yeah, okay. that's my she wife. She's great in reality bites, I'll just say as much. <laughs> <laughs> um, who's the next character? Uh, this will be Who Would Narrate Hazel? Oh, this one is particularly difficult, I think, um, because it's and who would play adult Hazel as well, mm-hmm. um, because Hazel is essentially the narrator of, of Saga and tells yep. us a little bit, of, you know, foreshadows a few things um, throughout the book. Um, so our choices are Zoe Kravitz, uh, who um, is in a band called Lola Wolf, and she's also played in Divergent. Uh, if you guys may remember, she she's uh, the like sidekick in Divergent. Uh, Jennifer Beals, who of Flashdance and L Word fame, and Rashida Jones, who Parks and Recreation guys. Yeah, she kills it in that. Right. So um, I'm gonna go with Zoe Kravitz. I'm also going with Zoe Kravitz. Zoe Kravitz. I'm sorry to disappoint you guys. <laughs> Rashida Jones was my uh, uh, choice. Okay. Good choice. Seemed Good choice. To, uh, just a uh, lively and snarky. But uh, yeah, it's the the nice thing about doing a book is that it, Hazel narrates it. But because we don't hear her voice, we really don't know if she's mm-hmm. narrating mm-hmm. this as a 19 year old or right. as a 90 year old. Mm-hmm. Right. So I wanted to pick someone whose voice has some range, and I feel like uh, Rashida's got the right. most fancy oh, of playing someone that point. you're not sure. So. Uh, and then I'll I'll keep it a secret who I would have play her as an adult <laughs> since we may get to see that character in the comics Big someday. Big Parks and Rec fan? Oh, sure. Who's not, right? Honestly, yeah. Yeah. So good. Um, who's the next one? I think we have two left. Uh, Prince Robot is up <laughs> next. <laughs> um oh, that guy. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, so again, we have a, a bunch of <laughs> of actors. Uh, we picked, I, I think, alongside, like along the same lines for the three choices are kind of similar. Uh, so we have Edward Norton, Tom Hiddleston, who played Loki um, in the Avengers and um, Thor movies, and Thor movies, and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, who played everyone. He was in everything ever. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and I'm gonna go with Benedict. I think Tom Hiddleston. I'm kind of into Tom. Like, I totally understand Benedict Cumberbatch playing this role, because why not? But Tom Hiddleston, because he has the kind of nebbishy quality that I think would apply. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's got to be Benedict. Yes. Fair. <laughs> totally fair. <laughs> Three great choices, but uh, yes, to play a sort of uh, uh, foppish but brutal uh, robot royalty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Benedict is uh, It's hard to top. So I believe the last one we have is who would play the will. Um, who is another freelancer um, and, you know, the the who, you know, who travels alongside a lion cat and mm-hmm. who's trying to pursue uh, the family like Alana, Marco, Hazel. Um, and our choices are Chris Hemsworth, uh, who plays Thor, uh, Channing Tatum and Chris Evans of uh, Captain America fame. But also Snowpiercer. Yes. But also <laughs> Snowpiercer. Right. Which is t- and Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim, really? He was in Scott Pilgrim. He was one of the seven evil exes. Oh, my God. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. He does have a kind of cartoonish voice. 
<laughs> I'm not a huge fan. Uh, Captain America is a good movie, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so who would you pick? I'm going to go with Chris Evans, mostly on the strength of Snowpiercer. He has some range. Um, I don't particularly like Channing Tatum as an actor, but for some reason, I feel like he has the right combination of one jawline, um, two brooding and also comic relief because Mm -hmm. I actually consider the will a very funny character, um, when he wants to be, Mm -hmm. he's got that like really soft and tender gooey inside that, uh, tends that like comes out every once in a while and that I particularly enjoy. Yeah, I think Channing Tatum. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. This is the only one I'm deeply offended by. <laughs> Even though you have selected three headshots where these guys have, like, kind of shaved down their hair. As a bald guy, you've got to put a bald in this. And please, I want to see myself represented up on. So I'm going to need a Jason Statham in there oh, or uh, something. Yeah. I mean. Mm-hmm. But, Actually, Jason Statham would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. that would be great. But all, look at all how much hair all these guys have. No. I, knew, I, I went out of my way to pick pictures where they had shaved heads. I saw that, but that is, that's like a minstrel show for me. How dare you? This is, let's get um, some real bald guys. I think back to like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and just how, how ridiculous his, like, back in the 90s, that guy was great. Like, yeah. you could just count on him from just really, just weird Guy Ritchie stuff. It was just a great time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So I'm glad that there was only one that was like deeply offensive. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> right? Only that's... to me as a bald American. Right, but, okay. Uh, yes. Uh, the rest, fascinating choices. And uh, I would love to see any combination of this movie that will never happen. <laughs> right. I feel like the choices are more telling, you know, they, they reveal more about us than they do about you uh, or about Saga. Um but yeah, mo- moving along, we wanted to talk about um, what you thought of this year's, you know, science fiction uh, movies like Interstellar, Hunger Games. How how do you think that that um, how did the movie landscape deal with science fiction? Well, I have two children, so I have not seen any of those movies that you mentioned. <laughs> but Big Hero Six was a great time. Really uh, the, uh, my son and I were high fiving each other uh, <laughs> during it, but. Uh, uh, I, earlier this year, uh, Under the Skin uh, is a, a mm-hmm. science fiction movie that mm-hmm. I, I thought was terrific and just one of the weirdest, most challenging pieces of sci-fi I've seen in a long time. Uh, Roger Hansen kind of has been killing it. In this yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. she has. And, it, you know, it's a very sort of conventional premise that you've heard before about, you know, aliens come down and they need us to breed or for some mm-hmm. creepy uh, reasons. But it's just... Uh, it has one of the great scores in cinema history, I think. It is just, uh, it's really lovely. So that that was the science fiction film that excited me most that I saw. But Snowpiercer, I enjoyed mm-hmm. a lot too. Mm-hmm. Really had the integrity of intent that it seemed angry and wanted to talk about what was going on in the world in a clever way. So I dug that too. Did you get a chance, this is not a movie per se, but it does kind of come across that way sometimes. Uh, did you get a chance to take a look at Black Mirror? Uh, you know, I, I have not seen the uh, the newest one that, that just came mm-hmm. out, but I, I've seen Black Mirror episodes before. It's incredible. Yeah. That show haunts my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like a lot of it um, is, you know, it's just very telling which one really bothers you and which one really sticks with you. It's just... Uh, um, it's 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 really takes you to another world, and the problem is that it's also really plausible sometimes, which is terrifying. I think that was the yeah the the experience I had seeing her last year, which I still I don't think I've seen a science fiction movie I've liked as much since. 
I'm going to make a big risk here and just admit I have not seen her yet. Oh, I, I think you'll like I, it. I, I'm <laughs> sure I will. I just haven't seen the movie yet. So yeah, her was was surprising. Uh, you know, it makes you feel uncomfortable sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's entirely the goal. Um, and yeah, no, it was it was interesting. Um, I am not the biggest Scarlett Johansson fan, um, but I think her voice served very well. And I think she played the role really well. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's a movie that it sometimes feels like sort of a, a nice romantic comedy. And then other moments it is like you say, it's a right. horror movie. It is just right. the, the inevitability of it mm-hmm. that it seems like this is going to happen soon. And uh, it's terrifying and brilliant. It's a great movie. I just, I don't know. I really like Black Mirror, and I enjoy a lot of it, but it just feels one note. I don't know. Like, maybe it is because I'm a tech writer, but it just does feel, it feels like it does not actually, in many cases, explore the complexity of technology, which can be so much more interesting than just talking about how it's going to ruin our lives. That it will certainly ruin our lives, but it will ruin our lives in very weird ways that aren't entirely about just it will make us forget about people that aren't necessarily direct but that are more indirect i guess that well that come with that there will be benefits and drawbacks and those drawbacks will manifest in very in ways that are not immediately clear and that are not just it will make our lives worse directly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay well, that, that gives me an opportunity to uh, plug another comic of mine. It's something that I <laughs> yes, do please. only online uh, at a, a site I run with an artist named Marcos Martin. We create a site called panelsyndicate.com where it's uh, pay what you want to get digital comics. But we created this book called The Private Eye that we came up with a few years ago. And the idea is that in the not-too-distant future, uh, the cloud bursts and all of our worst secrets, every text we've sent late at night, every email about our boss, all of our Uber rides, it all comes out for everyone to see. So and it's the Sony hacks. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. And, and well, wears masks, yes, which, which that's seemed right. really fascinating to me. Yeah, so it's the idea that after this happens, that privacy, again, becomes a, a deeply valued uh, uh, principle for America and that now everyone has a secret identity and you don't leave the house without putting a mask on and everyone has multiple masks uh, that they wear out into the world. But yeah, when we came up with the idea, it was sort of a fun, far-out parable and then Edward Snowden happened Mm -hmm. and then there was the release of all of the actresses' photos and now the Sony hack and Mm -hmm. it does feel like it's less of a far-out parable and more of a... uh, uh, disturbingly prescient take, I guess. Mm. So uh, I, I hope people will check it out. Now. Well, it's <laughs> interesting because the internet is now so much about revealing personal information where a lot of the original feeling around it was that it was like this magic place where mm-hmm. you had an entirely separate identity. There's this very, very early sort of cyberpunk story called True Names. And the entire point of it is that someone has found someone's true name and it's like it gives you power over them mm-hmm. like a, a demon. Um. When it comes to technology, do you like, you know, for, for, for the, you know, for the comics that you just mentioned, mm-hmm. um, when you get your inspiration, do you, do you look at technology and say, wow, that's really scary. How can I push this? Or do you, does it just, does it come out differently? Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, it's hard because I'm, uh, I'm 38 and I feel like I'm sort of on the, 
cusp of like when I, I went to film school, uh, you know, we started film school where we were all sort of like literally cutting film and putting pieces of tape with sprocket holes on it. And by the end, they were just moving in these giant avid machines. And uh, I was like, oh, that's the future. I should have gone to school <laughs> a few years later that, that I always have felt sort of torn between the old analog world and the digital world. So. Um, but I think it gives me some perspective, I guess, Mage, remembering this time before and sort of seeing how things are now. So I, I like technology. I'm not a complete uh, Luddite. And uh, even though I'm not on Twitter or Facebook and I have no social media presence, I, I like it all. I, I just You're I, keeping I, your sanity. I, mean, I, I respect that. <laughs> I, I enjoy it as a, a spectator, but uh, I am much too lazy as a writer to write anything for free. So uh, I don't want <laughs> to do any of that. That's probably the way to do it. Exactly. I'm actually curious because we've touched on so many different kinds of media, but we have not mentioned games once. I'm curious if that's something that you you follow or what you how you think it fits into the rest of the media that you you make and consume. Yeah, uh, it's difficult because in order to complete my deadlines, I've not touched a video game system in like a decade. So I've sort of uh, Nintendo sixty four is about oh, where man. I tapped out. And but Good times. Uh, uh, I love it. I um, as uh, a player, I love it. As a creator, I find it extremely challenging that idea of mm. giving uh, the audience so much control over the mm. story where I like to be much more dictatorial and take you on this path so uh, I admire games tremendously and I would have no idea how to go about creating one would it be you know really hard for you like a stretch to um, try and, and give over some of that control to maybe for a saga video game or why the last man yeah you know that, that's actually uh, it's something that, that's come up and a saga video game uh, particularly if it's sort of uh, about um, characters other than the main characters in our mm -hmm. story is really exciting to me maybe more exciting even than a, a film or TV show so uh, never say never I mean, it seems like Telltale is sort of going through everything that Vertigo and Image have, have done, making, <laughs> it's true. making games out of it, which also, I mean, they are the most, probably the least interactive narrative games, or some of them. Right. Um, they are very sort of scripted and have yeah. their own appeal through that. But I, I love those Telltale games that I've seen. It's uh, very clever. I like that it's based on making moral decisions, not just being a button masher sure. kind of game. That, that's really uh, exciting to think about where games are headed in the future. Um, we, uh, recently, one of our writers recently wrote, uh, an editorial about, uh, superheroes and, um, you know, he, it was a Vlad Savoff piece. He wrote about how superheroes aren't, especially in movies and TV shows, uh, aren't tackling real problems. They're mostly just, you know, hitting people or hitting villains. And, um, his opinion was that, you know, really there hasn't been, you know, Superman isn't solving global warming. He's going after, you know, Dark villains. Side. And you're right, exactly. And uh, I think it was it was kind of lamenting that. Um, and I'd, I'd love to hear what you think about it. We actually all have very strong feelings about that. I think for the most part, we disagree <laughs> with him. Um, but we'd love to hear what you think. Yeah, no, I, I understand completely where he's coming from. But it, it's hard since superheroes are such a massive genre that there is, you know, I think if you've got Hawkeye and Miss Marvel going on, there are definitely superhero books that I think are telling relevant, challenging mm -hmm. stories. Right. But I remember in that article, he was mentioned that, oh, that there, you know, aren't as many books like 
V for Vendetta. And mm-hmm. I think that's the important distinction for me is one of the challenges of comics is that V for Vendetta got to have an ending and that most of these other characters that we're talking about, it's this illusion of a third act mm-hmm. that Spider-Man is never going to have an ending and Batman's never going to have an ending. And that's not for dramatic reasons, that just because they're owned by massive corporations that are dependent on keeping these going forever. So right. there's a sort of familiarity sets in and there's only so much you're allowed to do. But I really believe that yeah, it's endings that give stories their meaning and make it uh, about something and comics, those superhero stories, that even something like Dark Knight Returns isn't even a real ending for Batman. That mm-hmm. without an ending, uh, yeah, I think that's what he's he's missing, that sense of uh, what is this all about? And it's difficult to achieve in monthly ongoing comics. Well, to that, like, how do you even define a superhero? Because I don't really think of V from V for Vendetta as a superhero. Right. He's more of yeah. a villain. He's much more of a sociopath or like really, truly an anarchist. Like he identifies as an anarchist in the series and more identifies him as an anarchist in the series. Like well, you're not really He's got know. a badass costume though. Oh yeah, he's like, name, you, you, you root know? for him, yes. but you're also kind of no, scared of him. It's not right. about rooting for, because you can have superheroes who are sociopaths like Batman sure. whenever Frank Miller writes him. <laughs> but it seems like there's some kind of distinction between someone who is just, who is a costume, who is a hero or who is a costumed person and then there's a sort of genre that has its own conventions that is superhero. Mm-hmm. But I can't really put my finger on what the difference would be. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think it's superheroes have always worked best when they are a metaphor for something. I think that's particularly what Stan Lee did with the early Marvel characters, yeah. that they were each so rich. It just wasn't because they had a cool visual, but Daredevil was Justice is Blind and Spider-Man is... You know, with great power comes great responsibility or Hulk, the the monster trapped inside each man. That mm-hmm. Those things, I, I think, are, are still powerful, and it's why people want to keep revisiting these stories uh, forever. But, yeah, w- the definition of what a superhero is, I think, is I'm sure people can argue that James Bond has become a superhero, you know, or mm-hmm. that there is yeah. – but um, – People argue that Moses has become a superhero or is at least read in that way. Because he has such like far out like power over reality and like his like given reality in the context of Egypt, and it's like, well, if you have the power to change what this world is, then that's exactly what he's doing. So, right. But like, he's not like solving global warming. He's just like freeing his people. And to be fair, I mean, there are comics, you know, maybe smaller ones, not Marvel and DC titles, but comics that are addressing things like global warming or mm-hmm. or genetic, you know. Um, genetically modified organisms or like what, not that I think that those are necessarily bad. Um, I want to preface that, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, you know, there, there are titles that are exploring that. Um, but it's true that I think, um, you know, when you hear about superheroes doing good outside of their superhero uniforms, that's when they're trying to raise money for a charity or something like that. It's, it's these rich white men who are trying to help the world in other ways when they're out of character. And then the villain comes in and then you have the problem of right, the comic book. Right, And then I mean, you suit up. I love superheroes, but it does feel like, you know, 10 years ago, they had much more of a stranglehold on the mainstream world of comics. And that's been, I remember Robert Kirkman, I met him when he was a, a relatively young creator and he mentioned that he was going to do this black and white zombie book. And I was like, that is going to tank. There's no <laughs> audience for that, you dummy. And uh, Yeah, exactly. Wow. And, and it's, uh-huh. so it's nice to see that books like Saga and Walking Dead that have, you know, really no superheroes at all in them that they're, uh, I think that they're finding a place in the market that they wouldn't have, you know, 15 years ago. 
Mm-hmm. Really funny because I think of superheroes having gotten a stranglehold on film. Yeah, now right now they're taking over film, yeah. and it's right while well, they're concentrating on film. Now the rest of us in comics are like, good. Now it's the time to dethrone <laughs> yes. superheroes, uh, and we will make this uh, medium ours again. I still find it really, really weird that John Constantine is a superhero now. That he's like part of the Justice League. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, I, I guess switching gears a little bit, like just pivoting slightly you talked about robert kirkman what is your opinion of the walking dead like having worked in tv you know i'm embarrassed to say i'm not caught up on on the show so uh, yeah but (laughs) i love the comic i read the the comic every month when it comes out but i watch so few dramas especially having worked in dramas that feels like homework at night Mm -hmm. whereas that's why i'd much rather watch parks and rec at uh, at night i guess (laughs) and get my walking dead fix in in the uh the book but i love the comic i mean I'm coming at you from a standpoint of, like, having loved Lost and having really loved the time travel, like, skipping season, just, like, the madness of, like, being in the 70s. And you worked on that season. Yeah. So, I mean, I would really like to pick your brain about what that was like working with Damon Lindelof and writing those episodes. And so. Yeah. I mean, I-, I was an extremely small part of the machinery <laughs> that I was one writer in a room of super talented, super experienced writers. Mm. And I've always said that being a writer on a TV show is kind of a, a low-stakes version, a no-stakes version, frankly, of being a presidential speechwriter, that mm-hmm. you are working for the administration, which was in this case Damon and Carlton, mm-hmm. and it's your job to help get the administration's message across. It's not to create policy or try to jam in your own things. But that said, I was so excited when Damon, I heard him pitch time travel. I was like, this is so <laughs> weird. Like, there there will never be a show as weird as Lost reaching a mainstream audience that big. And it was just, uh, it was not easy, I know, for those guys to pitch ABC and to walk in, mm-hmm. you know, to a major broadcast network and say, we're going to do the zany time travel story. It, uh... It took some huge balls uh, for those guys to do. So it was fun to get to be a fly on the wall and see them push that uh, boulder uphill. I mean, we talk about time, um, science fiction, like in movies and comics and television is having a particularly big moment right now. And especially with comics right now with DC and Marvel and even with Netflix, like with their Marvel properties now. And like, how do you think TV is changing and and having worked in it, your work on Under the Dome and all the craziness that's happening with networks and streaming yeah it's a fantastic time for television thanks to netflix and hulu and cinemax and these countless outlets that people never had before i think uh yeah, it's a great time whenever there are more avenues. And, you know, I think there's probably less money to put on those shows, so it requires more creativity. But, yeah, I think some of the most exciting television now is happening far away from the, the networks. Um, you, you mentioned that, you know, you don't really watch as many dramas because it sometimes feels like work. Um, how is that different from from reading comics? Are you able to disconnect and, and just enjoy uh, the different storylines like Walking Dead, which you read every yeah, month? Yeah, which is part of it is probably, you know, my, this year has been me coming to the realization of, oh, I, I just love comics. That It's an honor <laughs> to work in film and television, you know, and uh, I hope to maybe do some more of it someday. But comics are, that's just my life. I love it. I love making it. I love reading it. Never feels uh, like work so um yeah i'm a comic book writer who happens to dabble in other things not uh uh 
a TV producer who uh, dabbles in comics, I hope. Okay, along those lines, what do you have any recommendation for people listening at home uh, of comics that, that you think they should definitely go check out that of, of the last year? Yeah, well, if we're talking science fiction, uh, do you guys read uh, Alex and Ada, uh, an image book? I haven't uh, checked that out it's yet. It's terrific. It is uh, just this tonally audacious story, and it has some similarities with her, and it's a guy falling in love with his robot. And you've heard that story a hundred thousand times, but it's just uh, it's handled so deftly, and uh, it's really that's a beautiful book. So um, that and a new image book called Copperhead is a uh, that my friend Jay Ferber writes, and it's mm-hmm. a, a western set in space, um, but it's kind of a procedural mystery and just a great female sheriff character, and uh, she's an only parent to uh, a son, and just sort of. It's exploring ideas about uh, what is a native and frontierism, and it's doing it in just a, a really unexpected way. So, yeah, those are two sci-fi image books that I'm goofy about. Sounds like a mix between, like, The Good Wife and Firefly. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely, it has uh, a little bit of that. And yet the things that I love most about it are the things that are, it's just so unique. And mm-hmm. even though, you know, we've all seen space westerns before, we've seen these kinds of characters it's what you only get from comics where you find one writer with a really strong voice working with one artist who gets to interpret everything, uh, and you just get this very cohesive universe. Okay, okay, cool. Uh, what about you guys? What are your recommendations for this year? Oh, God. I mean, I'm a big, big two guy, so I've been reading Spider-Man voraciously, so right now they're in the middle of Spider-Verse, which I won't bother explaining. Um, <laughs> Um, but apart from that, you need to read Miss Marvel. You need to read, uh, obviously, you need to read Saga. And, yeah, that's pretty much for me. Uh, I would second Ms. Marvel. Uh, Rat Queens, um, I've really been enjoying this year. Great um, book. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, and I like the way it addresses, you know, female characters, and it feels very empowering. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll defer to Addie for this one. <laughs> and I would really just go with Rat Queens and Saga. Um, <laughs> I've been meaning to read Sex Criminals for a while, mm-hmm. and I, but I haven't read it yet, so I can't recommend it. Mm-hmm. Oh, also, you should read Batwoman because it's going to be canceled. Yeah, yeah. I've also heard that Wicked and the Divine is supposed to be really good. Yes. I've heard a yeah. bunch of, of good things. Uh, th- that's my; those are my plans for uh, Christmas break, whatever yeah. Christmas break we, we have. <laughs> Just like a Christmas day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, uh, one of the last things that we really wanted to be able to ask you about was um, the Star Wars trailer. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts and um, know what you think is, you know, coming up for Star Wars. Like, how do you feel about it? Are you excited? Are you? Um... Yeah, I'm not a monster. Of course. <laughs> are you? What are you talking about? The second I heard the trailer, yeah, I, I went and dialed it up. And yeah, it looks uh, uh, very exciting. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally on board. Uh, JJ is great. And uh, yeah, it's, you know. Part of me is as sad about the sort of George Lucas of it all. It feels like he's sort of mm-hmm. uh, yeah. let his baby go, and it, you know it's uh, uh, been adopted by a new, equally terrific creator. But you know it's not George Lucas's Star Wars anymore. And, uh, I, I think, like everyone, I recognize Empire Strikes Back is that is a magnificent movie. But for me, it's the first Star Wars is what I'm so passionate about. Just thinking, having worked a little bit in Hollywood, and knowing that. 
he is a young creator was able to get that made is impossible to think like just at how much imagination went into that and to making that story be an understandable relatable story that the world loves is just that first star wars movie is such an achievement so i'm excited for the new star wars they'll be first in line but part of me is also aching for I hope my kids will get something new, you know, that they're Mm -hmm. not just going to be, you know, right now we watch Marvel cartoons and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Star Wars, and it's all the same stuff that I liked as a kid. And that's nice. It's fun. I get to relate, but I'm eager for where's just the crazy far out new stuff uh, coming. So, uh, right. I mean, it is a lot of reiterations of, of the same things. And, and, you know, people like to capitalize on these franchises because they have a very, very strong following, but it's true that, you know, it makes you wonder what, um, you know, very young children right now are like, are they can, what's new, what will be their star Wars? I just remember, Um, you know, going to the movies and it felt like there was always a RoboCop, a predator, a kind mm -hmm. of, you know, B movie. Let's take a shot at doing something that would really connect. Uh, and now it feels like we have Predator reboots and right. RoboCop <laughs> reboots. And I, I want, I want new. Well, Please give me more new. It's really weird because it feels very clear that these are actually new scripts. It's just that the only way they could get them produced exactly. is to Within retitle these, them. Like yeah. I swear that RoboCop was <clears throat> not a RoboCop. <laughs> but doesn't it kind of make you feel sad? Because like you know, when kids first went to see Star Wars, they were like, their parents were like, "Why are you going to go see that movie?" Right. That seems like a terrible choice. And now parents are like, yeah, let's go see that movie. And I feel like there's, um, you know, from, you know, one standpoint, there's like this great bonding experience. But at the same time, don't you also kind of want your kids to like rebel and get into this type of sci-fi that you just don't understand? I mean, there's a power to it, isn't it? It's like there's a cross-generational appeal of like everyone you know and like their mothers and their grandparents are going to go to the, see this Star Wars movie. But at the same time, it's like I went to see the trailer the morning that it was supposed to come out in theaters and there was no one there because you can just get it in so many different ways and everyone knew about it and everyone was watching it. Of course, people were excited about it, but like the experience of like just being a singular person going out to see this thing wasn't the same. Yeah. And it was weird. It, you know, I was a little disappointed. Yeah, I mean, the the Star Wars excitement was on Twitter. Yeah. Um, more than than anywhere else. I mean, I I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong because you're not on Twitter. But. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, it, it's totally different from I remember. You know, still being in school when Phantom Menace. It came out and like to see that trailer, you'd have to go sit through Meet Joe Black uh, to see <laughs> yeah. it. And, and there was no like you could just log on to your computer. You, you just you had to. So it, it has the, the way that we consume uh, our previews has obviously changed completely. Did you uh, actually see Meet Joe Black to see the movie? Yeah, because they, they showed the trailer. The they showed, they showed the trailer once, and then the worst part is they said, we'll play it again at the end of the movie if you oh, stick around. God. So you oh, couldn't wow. just go in and pay. You would have to endure all of Meet Joe Black. And no worst. offense to their creators, but <laughs> that is a tough movie to slog through. I mean, to- I'm curious how that changes cons, too, because it is that these things that you'd see that would be exclusive clips are also just kind of on YouTube uh, a few mm. days later. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's a brave new world. <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as, you know, we're end of 2014, uh, the saga number 24 is, is out, the book, uh, you know, the, the hardcover book is out. Um, what is What does 2015 look like for you? 
uh, more comics, uh, I hope. Yeah, now that I, I sort of I stepped away from uh, my duties as an executive uh, producer on Under the Dome, so it's just all comics all the time now. So, uh, so there'll be much more saga uh, that returns in February. Uh, with a, a very strange, exciting new direction, and uh, and yeah, I think early next year I'll be announcing some new uh, books uh, through oh, Image. Okay, and uh, Marcos Martin and I hope to keep doing online comics at uh, PanelSyndicate.com as well. So all comics all the time. Okay, PanelSyndicate.com, gentlemen. <laughs> PanelSyndicate.com. And and gentle women. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much, Brian, for coming to The Verge today. Uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you. It was really great. Um, and yeah, safe awesome. travels. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. <laughs>